Awesome. Well, welcome. If I have a chance to meet you, my name is Randy Willis. I uh, try very hard to be an associate pastor here at this church. Um, so glad you're here with us. Uh, you get a little double dipping today of our service. So this summer we are going through the book of John in the Bible. Um, but we are also today doing what we're calling our SRS, or our Social Responsible, Responsibility Sunday. Um, you heard in the, in the announcement video that we exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and social responsible churches and campus ministries. So those are three things we think a disciple of Jesus is. There's somebody who's Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible. So four times of the year, we're going to have an emphasis on the social responsibility thing from here from the pulpit. So we're going to merge that with John and do a little, little double dippage. So hopefully it's enjoyable for you. So be thinking about it, have it in your mind, realize that social responsibility is not like Christ-centeredness or even to a degree spirit-empoweredness. This is not a time to just engage your mind, but to begin to engage your actions. So we'll be talking a lot about today so you can prepare yourself for that coming. But if you're new with us, we were, like I said, we're going through the Gospel of John. Um, John is one of Jesus' best friends, closest disciples, knows Jesus very intimately, and he wrote a letter. We call it a book or the Gospel, but it's just a letter that he wrote in the first century to a bunch of churches and people who were curious about who this Jesus was. What did he say? What did he mean? We're hearing rumors and all this stuff, and we need somebody who's an authority on the subject. And John is an absolute authority on the subject, so he wrote this letter so people could know clearly who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, what did his life, his death, and resurrection mean, um, and that hopefully you would believe in him. So that's what the letter of John's about, and we're going through it. And today we have the privilege, uh, I have the privilege of talking to you guys about John chapter 8. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to John chapter 8, we're going to be in, uh, honing on verse 12. Um, it'll also be on the screen if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. But John chapter 8, verse 12 is where we'll be going. I'll give you guys a quick second before we read as we get there. If you're a Bible nerd like me, when you read the New Testament, it's best, in my humble opinion, to read a New American Standard Version, NASB, because it's the most literal uh, for your Greek New Testament. So there's a little nugget while you're turning. So follow with me here in John chapter 8, verse 12 through 19. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Therefore, your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying, where's your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. If you don't mind, let's pray together before we started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I thank you for the life of John and this letter that he wrote so we can know more about you. Um, we can answer the question of the Bible, which is, who is the Lord? Who is God? And I thank you for this time. I pray that our minds would be engaged, our emotions would be afflicted, and our lives would be transformed into new and different action. So please, Holy Spirit, we want to welcome you to have your way with us. Whatever that looks like, uh, we're here and we make room for you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Come on, you can get a little charismatic third service. I got more sleep than anybody else. You can, you can bring it. It's all right. So welcome. By the way, you should know, right? The Bible says the first will be last and the last will be first. So you guys, congratulations. You're first place. 
All right, good job today. So yeah, going through John, we're really going to focus in on chapter 8, verse 12. Again, he says the statement, and then he spends the rest of the chapter defending it, arguing with the Jews about it, and going back and forth. So we're really going to just focus in on this one verse. You see right here, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the life of men. So in this verse, we're going to see three things. If you're a note taker, if you want to have an organized thought process, here it is. Here's your three things we're going to talk about. I'm going to say a lot of different things, go all over the place. But if you know these three things, they'll anchor you into the talk, okay? So Jesus gives us a metaphor, a claim, and then a call, okay? A metaphor, a claim, and a call. So let's look at number one, the metaphor. Okay, what is the metaphor he gives? It says light of the world. Okay, what does he mean by that? Not what do you understand that to mean, but when Jesus says that, what does he mean? I think one of my favorite things about this is he says light of the world. He does not say the light of Jews, the light of Americans, the light of CLCers, the light of Jalen Freeman. He didn't say any of that stuff. He says the entire world, the entire cosmos, all that is, that's what I'm talking about. And in, in the word there, it means all the inhabitants of the earth. So this week we're celebrating the 50th year of Apollo 11 and landing on the moon. And they showed some cool pictures, you know, the one from the orbit of the moon where they're looking out and you see this kind of three quarters of the globe. You see this blue ball of rock and water and fire inside the middle of it floating in space. And you see this beautiful planet and everything that's in that, that's what Jesus, that's what he's saying. Light of the world. What is their light? Okay, so what does he mean by light? What does that mean in a biblical Jewish mindset at this time? And it's the same thing for us, by the way, too. But literally, if you think about that blue ball of floating rock in the middle of the universe, literally what lights, what is this light? The sun, okay? So the metaphor is going off the literal sun and the earth relationship, what that means. So think about the sun. What does the sun do for this planet? It literally sustains life. Without the sun, we all die, right? Without the sun, grass doesn't grow. Grass doesn't grow. The antelope have nothing to eat. If the antelope aren't there, then the lions have nothing to kill. Thus, the circle of life is broken, and Lion King has taught us a lot about it, about it right? So go see the new one. I haven't heard it. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited, okay? Lion King, circle of life. Is it good? Yeah? Okay, dang it. All right, circle of life. We need the sun. That's my point. Sorry, okay? The light, sun is super important. It's how we get our energy, and this for me is life. What, that's literally, metaphorically, what is it that gives you energy, that completes your circle of life, that helps you sustain? That's the light of the earth. That's the energy he's talking about. Right? If you have kids and that's your light of your life, great. If you don't have kids and that's the light of your life, yay. That's your thing. Is it your work? Is it your money? Is it your sports, your hobby? What is it that brings life to you? That's the imagery he's trying to get there. Okay? But not only life, but also truth. Okay? The sun allows us to see What's going on, right? How do I know where that tree is at when I'm riding my bike? Well, thank God for a sun or a headlamp, and I can see where I'm going and what I'm going to do, okay? So the metaphor there is light. What is the light of the world? What is the world's light? Okay, I love Lord of the Rings. Um, I love everything about it. And in this part of the movie and the book, more importantly, the books, they have this thing where Galindriel the elf gives Frodo this star. And in the movie, it's like a little glass thing. And she tells him, this is your light in dark places when all other lights fail, Okay, and later on in the books, he's in Shelob's lair, the spider, and it's completely dark, and he's going to die, and it, gonna, it is, you know, sucked his energy out of him, whatever she does, and he shakes it up, says a little spell, or whatever, and the light illuminates, and now it protects him from the dark things, it shows him how to get out, all the things. What is the light of the world like that? What is a way in which we see truth and function in such a way it helps protect us from darkness, but also illuminates our path? 
right? So I think there's three ways to talk about this that I always think about it. So you've got the monk, the scientist, and Princess Elsa, all right? The monk, the scientist, Princess Elsa. I just got out from Disney, so I got a lot of Disney stuff in my head. All right? So here's, here's three different worldviews or three different ways that our world says this is the light. This is the right way to see and to think about humanity and why we're here. So the monk, okay? The monk stands for, represents traditional religion. Okay, so any sort of traditional religion has been around for centuries. This is the monk, right? And what the monk would say is that the, the purpose of humanity is moral performance. We exist to be good people and to obey whatever morality the religion adheres to. That's the goal. That's the dream. That's why we're here. The problem is, is moral failure. Some people suck and they're not good, right? And so that's what they say. Hey, that's the problem with the world. If you just would be better, that's the solution. If you would be better, that would solve the problem, and then we'd all have utopia if everybody would adhere, by the way, to my moral standards. That's how the traditional religion works. That's the monk, right, attitude. And good or bad, you can parse that for yourself. That's just the way they think. And again, I'm generally speaking super oversimplification, so have grace on me for that, all right? So that's the monk, all right? Traditional religion, the, the purpose of us is to be good. The problem is that some people are bad. The solution is we need to be better, try harder to perform well, okay? That's the traditional monk cluster. Some people think that way, okay? Then you have the scientist. Scientist represents kind of the modernity and the enlightenment period, the past couple of centuries that we've kind of come out of in a way. Scientists say the, the, the purpose of humanity is not moral performance, but survival. Our job as humans is to survive, pass on the correct DNA to our children's children so they can survive and do that. And the problem with the world and with humanity is the lack of survivability. Okay, the, the, the lack of knowledge to know how to survive. So therefore, the solution would be more knowledge. Okay, hence, this is why the Enlightenment period happened. You saw the return to science, to math, these kind of things. This is what the scientist worldview says. And lastly, Princess Elsa. What does Princess Elsa say? No rules for me, no right, no wrong. I'm what? Free. Somebody knows that. Come on. Let it go. Let it go. This is the postmodern perspective on life and how we should be living, right? This person says the purpose of humanity is to be free, free to create whatever reality, truth, identity, meaning, and purpose that we want in our life. And the problem with this world is oppression. We have oppressive systems, oppressive people that suppress that oppress us so we can't be the person that we think we are or want to be and those kind of things. So therefore, the solution is more freedom, less oppression. That's the worldview, okay? That's really fast on worldview, monk, scientist, and Elsa, okay? These are the different ways in our world. And some people move within all three streams. Some pick a little bit out of here. Some are in there. Most of our world can fit into one of those three categories. And that's the light that they're walking on. This is how our earth should function. And you know that because if they get angry, it's a way. We'll stop there. Okay, we'll move on, okay? That's the metaphor, light of the world. How do we have life? What is the purpose of it? How do we function? How are we to live? How are we to treat one another? What is the highest and chief goal of human, humanity? Okay, those three areas are different ways of saying that's light. Okay, so when Jesus is saying the light of the world, saying how the world should function. What is its created meaning and purpose? Okay, that makes sense to you guys? Yes? Great. Okay, I'll move on. Good job. All right, so first of all, that's the metaphor. Secondly, the claim that Jesus makes, he makes an astounding claim. And if it doesn't hit you, let me keep going and maybe it'll hit you in a little bit. He didn't just say there's the light of the world out there. He says, I, Jesus, not Randy, I am the light of the world. I am the sun, you are the earth. I am that thing. I am the way, I, not, I point to it, I am it, okay? 
Um, and what the sun does metaphorically for our planet, I literally do for humanity. I am the physical representation of what mankind is supposed to look like. If you want to see what you're supposed to be, Jesus says, look at me. I have all your answers. Okay? That's what he's going for. Okay? Now, what do we know? I think you can look at three things to know what Jesus said. Hey, look at me. I'm the light of the world. Okay? Three things you can look at to see what he means by that. That's his life, his death, and resurrection. Okay? So let's look at his life. In Matthew 11, Jesus outlines his work and what he did in his life. So let's check that out together. All right? Boom. Matthew 11. So John is his cousin, John the baptizer, if you've heard that name before. So John was in prison. He heard of the works of Christ, the things that God was, Christ was doing. Christ is Jesus, by the way. He sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, are you the expected one? Are you the light of the world that we've all been waiting for? Or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus, in a very Jewish way, answered him this way. Go and report to John what you hear and what you see. So stop right there. What you hear me saying in my teachings, but also what you see me doing. Well, what did he say and what did he do? Here it is, verse 5. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Literally, look at all the things underlined on there. Literally, he did all of those things. He literally helped blind receive sight, lame walk, lepers heal, deaf hear, dead become alive, and poor have riches, the gospel. He literally did all those things. He went to these places. This is where Jesus went. It didn't say, although he did it to some degree, but when you think about Jesus and his ministry and his life and what he did, you don't think, oh, Jesus went to the most comfortable place with the people who had it all together, and that's where he went and did his work. The work of Christ was done in slums. And with all, let me say it this way. It was done with all the outsiders. If you're a religious outsider, Jesus went to you. If you're a cultural outsider, Jesus went to you. If you're an ethnic outsider, Jesus went to you. If you're a gender outsider, Jesus went to you. He is constantly going to those who don't have any gifts. Okay? This is what he literally has done. This is the work of Christ in his life. And I think one of the best ways to understand that is the verse that if you're a Christian here, you love the Bible, I implore you to memorize this next text. Okay? Philippians 2 3 through 8 is one of the most foundational, important texts in the entire New Testament. Check it out. Here's what, Jesus, here's what Paul says about it. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more, not equally, but as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out to your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. Have this attitude he just described in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Pause for a second. That's Jesus' attitude, verse 3 and 4. That's how he thought. Okay, verse 6. Jesus, who, although he existed in the very form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be held onto. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. Check this out. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're all obedient to death. We're all going to die. <laughs> That's easy. Even death on a cross. What did Jesus do? Not only did he walk and touch and heal and feed and enlighten people's minds and blow their minds in so many ways, but here's what Jesus also did. He served them so far that he died for them. Okay? He went into where it was the most darkness and he brought light into it by the way he lived, but also in the way in which he died. He conquered his enemies by dying for them, not killing them. This is very different than any other king in the world. He won by losing. He became first by becoming last. And he saved life because he gave life. 
and he used his power to serve others to the very point of death. And that kind of light could transform the world. Think about this. Do a thought exercise for me. What if, okay, just dream. What if people with power, with money, with wisdom, with opportunities, what if they use those things like Jesus did? All of them, the entire world over. What if they use all their power, all their money, all their influence, all their opportunity, all their stuff, all their gifting, and they used it to sacrificially serve to the point of death? What kind of world would that create? What kind of humanity would that create? Right? Didn't that sound like good? <laughs> and it would solve some problems that were issues we're dealing with now? This is what Jesus says. I'm the light of the world. Follow my path. Follow me. This is, this is it. I'm illuminating to you what human beings, not only individually, but corporately, should look like. Okay? But Jesus is not just an example of a light. That's not that big of a claim. Okay? The big claim is that he is the actual light. Okay, now let me, let me take you back and where I think Jesus' mind might be. I don't know. We can ask him later. I'm not sure. But what I think Jesus was thinking about when he said this was the book of Exodus. Second book of the Bible, the story of the book of Exodus is the people of God are in slavery for years. God leads them out. They wander about the wilderness for 40 years on their way to this promised land. While they're wandering for 40 years, here's what Exodus 13 says. It says, and the Lord, okay, and the Lord went before them. Who went before them? The Lord, that means God, okay? So in God, the Lord, he went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Jesus says, okay, you remember that story in Exodus where God himself was the light of Israel and he was leading them through the desert to show them where to go and also to keep them warm at night because it's cold in the desert, but also at daytime to give them shade and protect them. You remember how God did that for Israel? Yeah, I do that for the entire world. I'm God. I'm the light, not just of the Jews, but of all nations. And this claim is huge. No other founder of any other religion, any time in history, has claimed this. Every leader does what I'm doing today and says, I'm not God, but I point to him. Okay, it's kind of like the sun versus the moon. Think about the moon, right? The moon doesn't radiate light. It reflects it. It doesn't create its own light. It just points you to the true light, the sun, right? Muhammad, Buddha, uh, Moses, Paul, Randy, any other Hindu priest you talk to, they're going to tell you, hey, here is the light. It's over here. We should follow it. We should do what it says. We should live in accordance to it. Jesus comes and says, I'm not the way to the light. I am it. I'm not just a way to get you to God. I am God that should come to you. That's an audacious claim. And if he just had his life and his death to look at, yeah, crazy people say crazy stuff all the time, right? The thing that makes Jesus stand out is not just the claim, but the power behind his claim, and that's his resurrection. When Jesus came back to life, this is why the resurrection is huge. We wear cross necklaces. We put crosses in our church, and for good reason. We should find a good, like an empty grave picture, I don't know, to put on there because that's the evidence of his power. And it validates the claims that Jesus says, hey, my way is the way to conquer death and to have life. Watch me do it. All right? That's what he's doing. And that's why the resurrection is so important for us. And people for centuries have been trying to disprove the resurrection of Jesus and are not. And a matter of fact, many of them are actually converting to Christianity because the evidence for the resurrection of Christ is outstanding and overwhelming and amazing. So let me sum up his claim. Jesus is saying, I'm God. I've came from heaven to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. 
just do it to people who will never be able to do it back to me. And won't ever do it back to me, by the way. He, he had a raw deal in this. Here's the deal Jesus made. I'll give up my palace for your prison. I'll give up my glory for your guillotine. I'll give up heaven for your hangsman's noose. Is he your light? Is the question today. Is this Jesus' this idea of what he's done, who he is? Is he your light? Is he the one illuminating your path? Is he your cloud by day and your pillar of fire by night? If you look at Jesus, like we're talking about the light of the world, if he's your light, if having him illuminate your path is what gives you life and clarity to how to live and function, you are on the road to becoming a Christian, okay? Not your moral performance. Great. I'm glad you're here in church. Thank you for coming. It's healthy. It's a good decision. I'm glad you, maybe you read your Bible. Maybe you've gone on a mission trip. Maybe you even give a little bit of money here and there. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian is affirming functionally with your lifestyle that Jesus is my light and the light. Not just mine personally, but he is the only way. He is the light. That's what it means, okay? So if you're a non-Christian in here, say, I'm not a Christian. Or maybe you're just confused. I don't really know where I am on the whole Christianity thing. Let me, how do you know if you're beginning to get illuminated to this light? Okay, let me give you a test, okay? If you're mad today or scared or joyful, you're, you are beginning, to, you're passing the test. If any one of those three emotions right now, you're passing the test, okay? If you're mad, if you hear me talking about Jesus being the only way and he is a man who claimed to be God in the resurrection, like that's stupid, that's, that makes you so dumb. Christians are so close-minded saying that Jesus was God and he's the only way, you're beginning to understand. You're on the path, okay? If you're scared, if you hear me talk about this, like, wow, Jesus isn't just a good moral teacher, but he's the very Lord of creation and life. Crap, that means he can ask anything of me and I have to obey. He's, he, he might ask you for everything. Oh, I'm a little nervous about that. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Or if you're gonna say, man, that's wonderful. That's great news. I can't, I've been looking at this my whole life. Any one of those three emotions right now you're going through, that means you are on the way and on the path but if you're indifferent to what I'm talking about, to Jesus, okay, then you have not heard his claim and you haven't even really honestly begun to listen to what he's saying. If you're like, yeah, Christianity, okay, fine, whatever. You're, you're in the darkness still, okay? And I would think, I, would, I like the analogy of parents waking up their kids. My dad was a jerk. And he would, he would get our lights and flick them like crazy and yell at me. He'd open up the blinds. He'd do all kinds of stuff. And he'd bring all this light to his nice, cocooned, dark room with the air down low as my blankets. And then stinking dad comes in there and turns all these lights on, rips my covers off, and, and wakes me up. And why is that? Because when you see the light, you can't just lay in slumber anymore. So if you're laying comfortably right now in slumber, the blinds aren't open. The lights aren't on. But if it's causing you to move and maybe ticking you off, like, turn it off. Ah, you're beginning to see the light, okay? Now, if you ask me, Randy, okay, that's great. I'm kind of interested in Christianity. How do I go about having a relationship with Jesus? How do I do that? I think there's a lot of ways to talk about that. One of my favorite ways is the story of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, now we know he's an amazing pastor and preacher. He lived in London in the 1800s. But in 1850, he wasn't a Christian yet. He was a spiritual uh, searcher-outer. 
He was looking for spiritual reality, what was true and what was right, and what was the light of the world. What is the way we should be walking and living in this life? And he tried all kinds of existential experiences. He tried moral performance and trying to just do really good, disciplined, good things. And he couldn't figure it out. He was miserable. And he woke up on a miserably cold London snowy day and went to this small church around the corner. And it was him and another person in the church. That's it. Just two people right there in the middle. And the pastor was even out of town. And so this bum, 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 sorry. This this guy who's not the main pastor. Is not, y'all aren't bums. Uh, this, this guy who was the pastor gets up and, and, and doesn't know what to say. Doesn't, he's never preached before. And Charles later says all he did was open the book of Isaiah. And he read the place where it says, look unto me, God. Look unto me and be saved. As far as it was such a bad sermon, he literally just sat there for the next 10 or 15 minutes and just repeated the verse over and over again. He didn't know what to do. Uh, look unto me and be saved. That's what it says. The Bible says, look unto me and be saved. And he looked at Charles, and then he looked at me, because there's only two people there. He says, son, I perceive you're miserable, and you're going to stay miserable until you obey this verse and obey my text to look unto me. And Spurgeon said, it hit me, it dawned on me that I had been trying so hard to earn a relationship with God. I was looking to myself to, to provide it and to make it happen. I didn't realize I had to look into the Lord. And then it dawned on me, it was a gift. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to earn anything. I don't have to try even harder. I don't have to push off oppression. I don't have to survive and adapt to the future. I just have to look unto him and be saved. And let me tell you guys something in this room. Some of you in here, you're, you're miserable. Maybe slightly, maybe greatly, I don't know. But some of you in here, you're miserable. And I'm going to tell you the truth. You're going to stay in that miserable state until you obey that text. To look unto the Lord you might be saved. That's the claim of Jesus in this verse, that he is a light of the world, okay? But I can't stop there. I got a little more time. He doesn't just give us a metaphor. He doesn't just claim something. There's also a call. Here's what he says. Follow me. So I'm the light of the world. Follow me, and you will have the light of life. Follow me. What does that mean to follow Christ? Follow Jesus. What does that mean? He says, follow me. It's a, it's a big idea. We can talk about a lot of different verses, but I love uh, in the book of Luke, Jesus talks about this a little bit, okay? Follow with me here. It's, it's on the screen just for quickness, okay? Jesus talking says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his possessions. What possesses you? This is Jesus talking. He's pretty harsh. He's kind of an extremist, it's not very nice about it. It doesn't say you're going to struggle. You can try, but you're going to have to, you'll get there eventually. He's not diplomatic. He's not pastoral about it. He simply says, if you don't pick up your cross and follow after me, if you don't let go of all the other lights of the world, you will not, you cannot, none of you will be my disciples. So following Jesus means picking up my cross and going after him. Where did he go? We read it in Matthew 11 earlier. He went to the lame. He went to the leper. He went to the homeless. He went to the poor. He went to those in prison. And he brought life to him. That's where he went. Okay? And that's what Jesus said. If you don't do that, if you don't follow me, you're not my disciple. And you can't. But look at how he finishes this verse. He says these harsh things. You can't be my disciple. Look at verse 34 there at the bottom. Therefore, so let me summarize all that stuff in saying this. Salt is good. I say amen to that. I love salt. Okay? But here's what he means. Following me is like being salt. That's what he's saying. Therefore, let me put a picture in your brain about what following after me looks like. Be salt. Salt is a good thing. It's what I want from you. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what can you season it again? It is useless 
either for the soil or, look at here, for the manure pile. It is thrown out. If you have ears, hear. Why does Jesus say salt can become, it can become useless for poop? Why does he say that? Is there a situation where salt is useful for poop? Right? And if you're in here and you're American, you're thinking, no. There's no situation I can ever think of where salt and poop should go together and that's a healthy, good thing. But we're not living 2,000 years ago in a very developing country at that time living. But all over the world, um, people do this. Let me show you. Okay? I got a picture. So these are pictures of what I call poop patties. Okay? I don't know a better word for it, but that's what they are. Okay? They are discs of poop that people get, and you look at the far top one, you can see the handprints on those still. And they squish them down and make patties, like a hamburger patty. They squish them down, and they put them out in the sun to bake them. So they become hard. And once they are hard, the manure actually becomes um, charcoal. Okay, so now you put your manure disc in the next picture, please. You put them in an oven. And here's what an oven would look like. Okay, you put them on top of it, on the outside, and on the inside, all around it. You put them in there, and you light the fire. The poop burns, just like charcoal does for us. Free don't go to Costco's for it, boom, there it is. Just got to get your hands a little dirty for it, okay? But that's what they had. They made poop patties out of things, and that's how they heated things, and guess what? That's how they got light. Start seeing the connections here. So in Israel, they had this thing called the Dead Sea, full of salt, tons and tons of salt. So what they would do, and people do this all over the world today, they would go get salt, and they, guess what they would do with it? They would mix it in with the poop patties. And just like salt when we bake, here's what it would do. It makes it burn hotter, faster, and for longer. So this charcoal, it was, a, it was an additive they put in with poop to make it better, to make it light. So Jesus will say later points, be salt that makes light. So here's what it means to follow Jesus by this analogy of being salty. Go to where the poop is and enhance it. Don't go to where it's clean and it's comfortable and everything's cool. That's not following me. Jesus, I didn't do that. If you want to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross and follow me. Where did he go? To the leper to the homeless, to the blind, to the dead, to those in prison, to the poor. Poop, where life is poop. That's what he said. And so to follow me is to be salt mixing in with that, not salt from a distance saying, oh, I'll pray for you, brother. That sounds crappy. Man, that's a pun there. Thanks for getting that, Rachel. Appreciate that. All right, that sounds terrible. I'm so sorry your condition. Man, I wish somebody would do something about that. Jesus, if that's the way you think, talk, and live, you're not my disciple. You can't be. What good is that kind of salt if it doesn't mix with the poop of the earth and life? That's what he's saying here by follow after me, okay? So here's my definition. I got three little definitions we've been saying at this church for years about what I think these kind of people are. So following Jesus, first of all, means that we are people, number one, who are moving towards other people's needs and not towards our own comfort. People who are moving towards other people's needs not our own comfort. There's a million ways to talk about this, but there's two really wonderful young women over here to my right. This is, uh, I almost called you Cassie, wow. This is, I'm losing it, Jasmine and Sierra right here. These are two, two people who, who have gone through our campus ministry. They're now on staff with us. And these two ladies, along with Cassie, who's back in kids' church, I think. I don't think she's in here, is she? Yeah, she's in kids' church. So these three women, for me, are quintessential number ones. This is number one for me. Okay, they are constantly, think about this. When you were in your young 20s and a single woman, or if you're a guy, single guy, what were you doing on a Friday night? What was your life look like? Maybe you're playing video games. Maybe you're out at the club. Maybe you're out, you know, doing top golf with some friends. Maybe you're just playing board game night. I'll tell you what these three young 20-year-old ladies do every single month for a long time. They go out 
late at night, all night, to the streets of Houston and fight against human trafficking. They go into these brothels where sex is being sold, or women is being sold tonight. By the way, when you're sleeping really comfortable in your bed, think about this. There's hundreds of brothels, not tens, hundreds of them in our city where women are being sold for sex, some 20, some 30, 40 times a night. And these are young women too, 12-year-olds. There's a, a raid that was done on one of these brothels and we found, they found 12, 14-year-old women from Germany over here in Houston being sold for sex, living in these conditions. And these women say, I could be at home sleeping, watching some more shows, but instead, I'm going to move to other people's comfort, not my own needs. That's salty. That's what I'm talking about, following Jesus. Amen? Second definition, following Jesus, answering the call, means that we become a people who disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of other people. They're not here today, but Holly and Sterling Love are two of my favorite people in the entire church. Because for years in our church, here's what they've been doing. They have been organizing and leading our human trafficking ministry. They think of ways, they spend their money, they spend their time, they open up their home, they open up everything. And these are people who are professionals, who work crazy long hours. They're, they're married, they just got married, they got a lot of other stuff going on, they got friends. They have other things that they want to be doing sometimes. But instead it's, you know what, let's spend hours, countless hours, thinking, organizing, and preparing a ministry so that other people can be rescued out of this crappy life. And we're going to lead that. We're going to disadvantage ourselves so that other people can have an advantage. And not just with our words, but with our materials and our actions. I love those guys. Thirdly, following Jesus, being salt, okay, means that we become people who are not only telling people what Jesus is like, but they're also showing people what he is like. One of my favorite people in the entire universe, sorry to everybody here, but is this young lady right here. I called her kid, the other services, because I've noticed she's 12 years old. She's now a grown official woman. But Carrie Davis, I've noticed she's a little whippersnapper. And this woman is one of the best in our church at telling people about Jesus. I, and I know that because I made her do it a lot. Okay, this year, I made her and other campus staff go in a six-week period and tell the gospel to 150 people on campus. They did 150 God tests in a six-week period. A lot. They're, she's telling people about who Jesus is. But that's not even close to the best thing about Carrie Anna Davis. The best thing about Carrie is she shows people by her life and her sacrifice. We have some new parents in our church that have called Carrie and said, hey, I, I, uh, any chance you want to babysit? And like most people, oh, sure, yeah, I can give, you know, 6 to 9 p.m., no problem. Oh, no, 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 can you come stay with my child overnight and get up all throughout the night and feed it and change the diapers and let it spit up on you and poop and pee on you? And Carrie's like, sure, of course. I, I gladly, willingly do that. I gladly, she's overseeing all of our missions ministry, all the different social responsible things that we do in our church, saying, I, I don't want to just be somebody who talks about Jesus. We got to show people what sacrifice looks like. And she leads that charge in our church. An amazing woman of God. She hates I'm pointing her out, but it's true. This is what it looks like to tell, not to tell people, but to show them what it's like. So in your, individually, how are you going to answer that call? In your work, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your friendships, with your money, with your home, how are you going to follow Jesus? How are you, where is the misery at? Where is the poop at in your area of individual life? You've got to find that and you need to go be salt. And don't beat it up more, but enhance it. You have that calling individually. But we, as a church, also have a collective calling. What are we going to do to be socially responsible to follow and answer this call to Jesus. We're going to do a lot of things. I'm going to invite Carrie to actually come up now, and she's going to share with you just one way through our human trafficking ministry that we as a church collectively are going to be uh, following Jesus.
Um, yes, I've heard that now three times over, and I'm just telling you it's been a good Sunday, so <laughs> it's super encouraging. Um, so Exchange Ministry is the name of our anti-human trafficking ministry out of City Life Church, and in the past we've partnered with great organizations, but we're really excited to start again of doing outreaches outside of City Life Church, which means us as a church. Familial, familial people are leaving the doors of this uh, building to invade our city. How many of you know, well, now it's mentioned a couple of times, even in our announcements, that Houston is number one in uh, human trafficking. That means it's happening no, any more than anywhere else than here in Houston. It's the most. Um, and women are being brought here from other countries saying, America's land of promise. And they're being led here and, and promised a better life, but what they're really getting is staying in a, in a, in a dirty, what kind of looks like a doctor's office. Um, and they, they eat there, they sleep there, um, and they are told over and over that this is all that they can be. And that is an incredible injustice that we as a church are not going to let happen anymore. Um, we are going to go into these places into these dark places and begin to build relationships. It is my deep desire to see us um, go and make relationships and be able to talk to these women and remind them of the truth of who they are. And you may be sitting here thinking, how, Carrie, can I do that? The, these women have experienced so much trauma in their lives. What do I have to offer them? If you are a Christian in here, you have the gospel, which alone empowers you and only empowers you to bring good news to these women uh, and to tell them the truth of who they are against all of these lies that they've been told all their life. And society right now is wanting to say, this is empowering. They want to do this. How many of you know, I see a lot of women in here know that this was never your dream, right? That, was, that is never a dream. This is terrible. It's an injustice in our society. And um, just because this is the third service, I can share a little story, a little testimony. Um, in 2015, a friend and I, of uh, mine, and she's now uh, living in California. She's sold out for Jesus. She's great. She and I um, walked on the streets. Um, yeah, there's a bug. We... <laughs> crush it underneath our feet right now. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so we were walking on the streets of Houston, and we we're talking to some of these women that are in this life, and um, we're walking around and uh, just being able to give them a resource. And then this man approaches us, and um, he's intoxicated, and he's, he's approaching my friend and I, and uh, he is actually asking to purchase us, which if you've never... If, if anyone's ever approached you, it's an extremely terrible feeling, and, I pro and I'm not the kind of woman that's just going to, like, cry. Like, my gut reaction is, like, punch, you know? Um, and so, yeah, Rachel's with me. And, um, but thankfully, that did not happen. Uh, a great man who actually went to the University of Houston, go Cougs, he went up to this man, and instead of condemning him, instead of, of um, speaking down to him, he said, hey, man. And they walked off to the side, and so my friend and I are just talking, and for 30 minutes, they, they have a conversation conversation. And uh, what was happening was um, this guy, he was sharing the gospel with this man who had wanted to purchase us. And uh, he came back in a complete state of sobriety. And in tears, he apologized to my friend and I for, for what he said and how he did. He said, I want to give my life to Jesus, and this is a terrible thing. And we prayed for him right there in the streets in Houston. And that was like at midnight, you know. And so 
I love and I'm so excited to experience with you all how God is going to reveal himself in the darkest parts of our city. And it will be your joy to participate in that. And a way that you can, you're saying, okay, Carrie, like, this is great. What do I do? Come, if you can get out your calendars, August 23rd, Holly and Sterling are going to be leading a Human Trafficking 101, and it's going to be here at City Alive Church, and we are going to be discussing a lot of the details of how we are going to be active in this um, injustice. It is not a time where we're going to roundtable discussion of, like, who's at fault for this. No. We're going to discuss how we're going to be involved. So August 23rd, that's a Friday evening. Um, please come and, uh, and participate. And if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, or I could say uh, Holly and Sterling as well. But uh, thanks. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'll for Carrie. All right. I am very different experiences than, than Carrie with human trafficking ministry. It's, it's really weird as a guy when you're involved in this, uh, serving this ministry, because you realize that your gender is the problem uh, in a lot of ways, and you're the uh, attackers, you're the aggressors in this situation. And if, um, let me say this to the men who are in here. Um, yes, we are going to be very intentional about striving after rescuing some of these women out of this life. But here's the deal. If, as men, if we can reach the other men and cut off the supply, or the demand, excuse me, then they'll cut off the supply. Um, so we need men in this ministry very much so to talk to the other guys and talk what's going on um, and, and do that. So for me, I, I'm a very analytical, I, I come with suspicion and doubt before I come with trust. And I remember years ago when we first started this, um, I went on a van tour and they took me around and drove me around and showed me the different areas. I got education on different things. I watched uh, documentaries and movies. I asked a ton of questions about what this means, what this looks like. Um, and I was nervous because I didn't want to go get punched by a you know, pimp or something like that because I'm ruining his business. I was a little nervous about that. But listen, let me just alleviate all fears. It was so easy. It really wasn't hard in that sense of safety. It was so easy to go. And if I didn't want to go walk in the streets, I, I could stay back and pray. Um, there's some phone things I could do on the phone. You could do so many other levels of things to do. So again, then I actually went into the brothels like my third or fourth time. I actually got my courage up and went and did it. And it, it, it was way more hype in my head than actual reality. Um, and so we need people to do that. So what we're doing today, how we're ending our service. Okay, again, little, little non-traditional service today because of social responsibility. What we're going to do here in a minute, not right now, we're going to ask you everybody to stand up in a minute, and we're going to ask you to respond to this call, okay? We're going to say, hey, in light of who Jesus is, my light, and if he did that, what does he want me to do? Specifically, like we want to be very specific, okay? And what we're going to ask today, and other uh, Social Responsibility Sundays, we'll talk about other ministries we're doing, but today we're going to ask this question. Here's what you need to be thinking about. Do I feel called to be involved in this ministry, Right? Again, anybody, and I hope everybody in this room, and I'm actually, if you can look at me for one quick second, everybody in this room, you need, I am begging you, uh, I'll, I'll give you something to come. Please come August 23rd, August 23rd, August 23rd. Get some education, begin to get enlightened what's going on. But there's some of you in here that as we've been talking about being salt, I'm talking about Jesus being alive the way, I'm talking about this human trafficking ministry. There's some of you in here that God is wanting you to commit today saying, I'm going to commit. I don't know what it looks like for me. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm a little nervous. You should be. That's, that's healthy. That's fine. I'm a little nervous, but I want to commit to this ministry, and I'm going to commit to doing it. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe I do something once a year. Maybe I do it every month. Maybe every week. I don't know, but I 
I know I know I have to do something. So we're going to ask that, and then we're going to ask you guys to respond. Like I said, today is not a day you get to just sit and listen. Um, we're actually going to ask you to come up to the front and stand right here. Nobody, you won't see anybody. You'll just be facing me. It'll be easy, okay? We want you to take a step of faith and say, yeah, I'm willing to commit to this um, and do some steps. And then we're not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray over you and then dismiss service. So would you all please uh, come on your feet? Sean's going to play a little ditty for us here. Um, and we're going to take literally one minute, 60 seconds, and we're going to ask you guys to, to contemplate, to think about this call that we're offering you today. Is this something I feel like I, God wants me to do? Why, why not? If you need to just think about that, if you need to pray in the spirit, whatever you need to do where you are, just take a moment, literally one minute, and think about that.